It is really good to be back with all of you uh, this morning. I was uh, in Greece for the past 12 days on a pilgrimage. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever had uh, this privilege or opportunity, but I'm telling you, if you are even slightly intrigued or interested in the idea of going on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land or to any of the places that the apostles went, I, I just, I've got to promise you it is a gift to your faith. Uh, if you've ever struggled or felt uh, doubt about what we believe, you can actually go to places on planet Earth where Jesus and his apostles preached and performed miracles. Sometimes we think that stories in the Bible are set a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, but that is not true. God is at work in our world and has been from the very beginning. Um, this summer, we're going to be mainly, uh, mainly be looking at the book, The Acts of the Apostles. We often uh, just refer to that book as the book of Acts. Uh, that's a shorthand way of saying we, we shift from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, to the sequel, where the apostles take on the mission that Jesus gives them, and they go all over the world to preach the good news. Uh, we're going to be here all this summer, and this morning we're going to start in Acts chapter 2. So if you have uh, a Bible with you, whether that's a physical Bible or a Bible app on your phone, get that out again. If you don't have that, that's okay. We'll put the verses uh, on the screen for you because we're going to be uh, looking even deeper into these, into these words we heard this morning. But I think it's, I think it's helpful to kind of get a little bit of a, of a timeline because when you uh, go to church or if you grew up in church, uh, you may have heard these stories at different times on different Sundays and you don't realize what word they happened in Scripture. And so uh, I'm going to be a, just a history nerd uh, for you for a second and I'm just going to show you this timeline so you can uh, get into the story, where, where this took place and all the events building up to it. Uh, because for 30 years of Jesus' life, uh, his true identity was basically unknown. I don't know if you've thought about this, but he didn't publicly reveal himself until he was 30. And he spent only three years of his life in ministry until he was crucified. We know that um, he, he probably died in the, the 30s AD. Uh, we don't know the exact year, but uh, a kind of traditional date for his death was about 33 AD. We do know that his death happened around the time of Passover, which every year happens around March or April, so we can, we can date it to the month. We also know the day. Christians celebrate Good Friday, which is when Jesus was crucified and killed. So we, we actually know when Jesus died, uh, and we know that he actually rose that same weekend. Jews refer to Friday as the first day, and then uh, we think of Saturday as the second day, and on the third day, Sunday, he rose again from the dead. Then, I don't know if you know this, this is kind of a, a detail that you can skip over kind of quickly, he continued to appear to his apostles for 40 days. This is actually in the book of Acts in chapter 1. We read Jesus presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. Now, I wish I could have a PowerPoint on what those convincing proofs were, but we don't, we don't know that. All we know is that for over a month, he just continued to appear to them to prove that he was alive. And at the end of that 40 days, he ascended into heaven, but he didn't just leave his apostles abandoned. He actually made a promise uh, before he ascended into heaven. He said, wait in Jerusalem 
I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Don't leave. That's what he says. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Okay, so that, that's the timeline building up to these events that we're talking about this, this Sunday morning for, to celebrate Pentecost. And, and so we actually know uh, what people were thinking at this time, what, what they were expecting. And, and what that means is the apostles were not caught off guard on Pentecost Sunday. Have you ever thought about that? That this was not a surprise. Jesus said, I'm going to send you a gift. Wait for the gift that my Father has promised. The only people who were surprised that day were the crowds who came and saw. So uh, I'm going to kind of break this chapter down into three different sections. And because I'm a preacher, I have to use alliteration. It's in my job description. So we're going to talk about the commotion caused by the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the conviction that happens in the hearts of those who were present that day. And then we're going to talk about the community that was formed uh, 2,000 years ago. Okay? So if you have your Bibles out, we're going to start in verse 1, and we'll walk through this, this passage. It reads, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Why are there Jews in Jerusalem from every nation who traveled far? Because of Pentecost, because of the Jewish festival, the Feast of Weeks. So there are already Jews in the city for this event. But then they hear a commotion. They hear this sound and a crowd forms. It comes together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? That is, aren't they all from, from this area, from this country? Don't they speak a particular language? How do they not know all of our languages? How is it that each of us hears them in our native language? I mean, we're Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Judea and Mesopotamia and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt. Man, the list is really long. They're, they're from all over the world, parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans, and Arabs. This, is, this can only be explained because it's supernatural. The apostles aren't bilingual or trilingual. They don't have what it takes to speak to all these crowds. This is a wonder of God in their midst. Now, for all these Jews present who are experiencing this first Pentecost 2,000 years ago, a lot of what's happening would remind them of their own story in the Old Testament. When the Israelites went to Mount Sinai, they went up to a high place. They saw fire and smoke come from heaven. They heard a loud sound like a trumpet, and the Israelites at the bottom of Mount Sinai trembled. <clears throat> and that's what's happening in Jerusalem all these centuries later. Again, fire is there. There's a loud sound. There's a violent wind. And all of these crowds of Jews are bewildered. There's a connection here. There's a greater version happening in Jerusalem of what happened on Mount Sinai. And I love the response. <clears throat> Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? 
What can possibly explain what's going on? And there's, there's a group there who starts to make fun of the apostles and say, well, they've, they've had too much wine. They're so drunk, they're speaking in another language. Now, Peter actually agrees that there, there needs to be an explanation for this, but he doesn't, he doesn't think it's alcohol. He thinks it's a prophecy being fulfilled. Remember, he's speaking to Jews from all over the world. They would know this. He says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. We're not, we're not drunk. God is doing something in your midst. Because he spoke through Joel once upon a time and said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. This is Peter's explanation for what's going on. There's no natural explanation. There's not even a bad explanation like alcohol. This is the Holy Spirit at work. We've been waiting for him. The prophet Joel talked about him, and he has arrived. And I love Peter's sermon because he switches topics really quickly. I don't know if you noticed this. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the prophet Joel. And then all of a sudden, he says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested by God to you with miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Now, in preaching classes, when I was in seminary, you don't do this kind of thing. They teach you to connect to different paragraphs. But, but Peter didn't go to the seminary I went to, and he, so he just thinks, I, I can talk about Jesus right now. Now, why would anyone present that day know anything about Jesus? Have you ever thought about this? How can Peter jump from the Holy Spirit to Jesus with no connecting paragraph? I actually think we know why. Because Jesus had only died 50 days earlier. All the news about Jesus was spreading. Look at what, 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 what Peter says. He says, Jesus performed miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you as you yourselves know. They had heard about Jesus. Some people in the crowd had probably met Jesus or seen his miracles. I think Peter is being very intentional here. He's saying, look, you see the Holy Spirit? I know the one who just sent the Holy Spirit to us today. He wants them to go to the next step and see that this, this Holy Spirit comes from Jesus of Nazareth. And he's not dead, like people thought. He rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and from there he sent the Holy Spirit. I love this summary at the end of Peter's sermon. He says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And Peter ends his sermon with an altar call. He says, let all Israel be assured of this. This is a fact. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now think about that for a second. The Holy Spirit comes and all of them see that this must have an explanation. And, and Peter says, yeah, it's a supernatural ex uh, explanation. Joel prophesied about this, and it's happening right in front of your eyes. And I'm sure some of them were thinking, this is incredible news. The Holy Spirit is finally here. And Jesus says, yes, the guy y'all killed sent him. That's where the conviction 
comes in. And what I love about this moment is that no one says, well, technically, Peter, I wasn't there. And no one says, well, hey, Peter, I'm not Pilate. I didn't make the final decision. And no one says, well, I'm just one guy. I couldn't have affected what happened to Jesus. No, no, no. They all are cut to the heart because they realize the Holy Spirit is from the one they killed. When the people heard this, they're cut to the heart and they say to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? Y'all, I don't think there's a greater definition for the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings in our hearts than, than being cut to the heart. <clears throat> at some point in your life, you may have felt this. You realize, I'm to blame. I'm at fault. I'm part of the problem. I can't shift the guilt to anybody else. I'm responsible for what went wrong. And so they ask, that they don't make any excuses. They just ask, what shall we do? And Peter has this incredible summary of the remedy to our problems. He says, repent. Turn away from your sin and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. I just want to pause for a second and reflect on how amazing the gospel is. The Holy Spirit has come to us from a man we rejected. A Savior we killed. And that Holy Spirit is poured out on the apostles, and that Holy Spirit convicts the people of their sin, and then that very same Holy Spirit is given to them. And they receive forgiveness, and they receive the Holy Spirit. And it's not just a limited time offer. Peter says, it's for you and your children and their children and the children after them. Peter doesn't end with the conviction of sin. He, he leads to the forgiveness of sin in his message. Okay, so we've seen the commotion caused by the Holy Spirit. We've seen the conviction by the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about the community created by the Holy Spirit. We don't read at the end of this chapter, and then they all went their separate ways. And then they all followed Jesus on their own as disconnected individuals. We actually don't read that. We read something so much more powerful. The end of Acts chapter 2 reads, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were, say that word together with me, together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to, say it with me, meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Three times at the very end, we read that they were together. Because there's no such thing as an individual Christian. Following Jesus by yourself is not following Jesus at all. Christianity is either communal or it's not Christianity. This is what the Holy Spirit has made, a community to follow him together. Now, I know that there's a lot in Acts chapter 2. We can't cover it all, so I want you to walk away with at least two truths this morning, okay? 
two aspects of the same good news. The first is that the Holy Spirit is nothing less than God himself. Some of us who may have grown up in churches of Christ, you came to believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. <laughs> that, the Bible is not the third person of the Trinity. We believe in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is nothing less than God himself. He's the source of this miraculous power on Pentecost 2,000 years ago. He's a gift that we don't deserve. He's promised to us by the Father and given to us through the Son. The Holy Spirit is so important, Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem for 10 days, praying nonstop for the gift that I'm about to send you, because the Holy Spirit is the precondition for you being witnesses all across the world. The Holy Spirit is nothing less than God himself, which means the Holy Spirit is not the force. The Holy Spirit is not an it or an object that you can manipulate. The Holy Spirit is a person. The third person of the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit is not in retirement. The Holy Spirit has not been off work for 2,000 years. The Holy Spirit <coughs> has been busy empowering Christians all across the world to share the gospel. The Holy Spirit is the giver of life. The Holy Spirit spoke through the prophets. You cannot fully know God without knowing the Holy Spirit. The second truth is this. You can't have the Holy Spirit on your terms. And I want to talk about what I mean by this. Receiving the Holy Spirit means receiving what comes with the Holy Spirit. And the fact is that sometimes we don't want commotion, we don't want conviction, and we don't want community. Let me say what I mean about that. Sometimes we don't want God to cause a commotion in our lives. Because we've got great plans for our lives. And we would say, God, don't mess up my life. I've got a tidy, coordinated, buttoned-up Christianity. I've got this perfect, air-conditioned, quiet religion, and the Holy Spirit and the commotion that he brings is something I'm not interested in. But you can't have the Holy Spirit if you want him to be tame or tepid. The Holy Spirit always brings holy commotion. Sometimes we don't want to be convicted of our sins because we want to downplay our mistakes. We want to avoid responsibility. We want to, I want to justify my behavior, and I just want to keep my heart cold and frozen so that I'm never cut to the heart like the people 2,000 years ago. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit uses a sharp scalpel on our hearts. Sometimes we want the Holy Spirit, but we don't want commotion, and we don't want conviction. And sometimes we don't want community. And I think we say we do. And I think deep down we really do want community. But sometimes the difficulties of community kind of bother us. Because we want to think, I want to, I want to hold you at arm's distance. Don't bother me, I won't bother you. I'll solve my problems, you solve yours. I've got my Bible, I've got my Jesus, you've got your Bible, you've got your Jesus. Sometimes we think, well, I don't really need other Christians. I'll be fine on my own. The Holy Spirit makes a community, a body with many members, two or three or 75 or 500, but not one. Not one solo individual. 
And here's the thing. What's on the screen right now, you can't have the Holy Spirit on your terms, is bad news if I want God to follow me. But it's really good news if I want God to free me. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, say it with me, freedom. You can't have the Holy Spirit on your own terms, but you can get freedom with the Holy Spirit. We can actually be free from individualistic Christianity based on our own whims. And we can be freed for the community called the church. We can be free from the self-deception where we tell ourselves that we've never sinned. And we can be freed for forgiveness. We can be freed from watered-down Christianity that doesn't want God to interrupt our plans. And we can be freed for the holy commotion that comes with the Holy Spirit. So the question for all of us is, do we want to be free? Because the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let's pray. Father, this morning we celebrate the gift that you poured out in the apostles 2,000 years ago. And we know that from the first century to the 21st century, you continue to pour out your spirit on all believers. The Holy Spirit has continued to work in every century, in every place the gospel has gone. Father, we admit some of our fears about the Holy Spirit. We don't want the Holy Spirit to interrupt our lives. We don't want the Holy Spirit to cause a commotion or a scene. We want you to follow our plans. We also don't want to really be convicted. We want to downplay our sin. We want to avoid it. And we say we want community. But we know community is a lot more difficult than we think. Truly having brothers and sisters in Christ is a gift, and it's difficult. And so, Father, we put up all this resistance, and there may be resistance in our hearts this morning, and we pray that you would just break down that resistance to all that the Holy Spirit wants to do for us and in us. Father, if there is anyone in this room who doesn't know the Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give us eyes to see Him, to know Him, to love Him, to welcome Him into our hearts. Father, we pray that the Spirit of the Lord would be with us and that we would find freedom. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.